I'm not about making an impression, I'm about making an impact more than anything. I like to design things that really solve some type of problem or help solve a problem. Welcome back to In These Uncertain Times, a podcast about creating and connecting in the midst of uncertainty. I'm your host, Derek Horn. So before we get into today's interview, I want to have a little housekeeping and share a little update about my life. Uh, since I recorded this interview with Dion back this spring, my fiance Joey and I have been in the process of moving from New York City to Orlando, Florida to be closer to family. Like many other people, we've been trying to purchase a home, but faced extreme competition in our two months of shopping and submitting offers. So we will be renting a home in the short term that we will be moving into very soon. And let me just say that moving between states is quite the undertaking, and if you have more stuff than can fit in a suitcase, I recommend you do not make that decision lightly. But, as it pertains to the podcast, this will be the final regular interview of what I am going to call the first season of In These Uncertain Times. Coming soon, I will have a special episode where Katie Martell makes good on her promise from episode one and puts me in the hot seat for an interview. It's an awesome episode, and I look forward to sharing it with you. And after that, I'm planning on taking a break to settle into our new home in Florida and to plan season two, which should drop later this year. I'm planning on having a brand new series of interviews tracking the new phase of COVID-era life as more normalcy returns. Now that that is all out of the way, today's brilliant, multi-talented guest is Dion Mixon, a graphic designer, author, and entrepreneur based in Detroit, Michigan. Dion specializes in brand identity design. He is an alumnus of Cass Tech, class of 2013, and Western Michigan University, class of 2017, with his BFA in graphic design. Mixon is a Bill Gates Millennium Scholar, designer of the Detroit Rise flag, which is a new flag for the city of Detroit, author of the Lethal Creed Saga, and creator of the world's premier graphic design education board game, Design Eye. A movie worm, violinist, Naruto and Jason Bourne enthusiast, and practitioner and student of Krav Maga, Spanish and Japanese, Mixon believes not in creating for himself, but in giving great design to the world to help realize and voice ideas for others. Dion and I have an awesome conversation about his various projects and how he has found time to juggle them. Enjoy the episode. Well, thank you for joining today, Dion. How are you doing? Thank you so much, Derek. I'm pretty good uh, this morning. Glad the sun is out today. So to get started, can you please uh, introduce yourself to listeners in your own words? Definitely. So my name is Dion Mixon. I'm a graphic designer, author, and entrepreneur from Detroit, Michigan. So I know that um, one of the big projects that you've been working on the past at least year, I would say, I don't know exactly how long, is this uh, game called Design Eye. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your journey in conceptualizing and creating that? Yeah, definitely. So um, Design Eye was actually one of my thesis ideas at Western Michigan University. Um, And I wanted to create something that would help solve the problem of diversity or the lack of diversity in the design Mm. industry. Um, one of my other ideas was like a, a educational design campaign, but I thought that a game would be more appropriate because, well, if you're gonna, you know, teach um, youth uh, or teach anyone um, something as niche as design, you know, make try to make that learning experience fun. Um, mm. So that's why I chose a game as a format. 
And then I want to start at the youth because when you start young, then there's uh, more opportunities or just more time for them to be able to really dive into what design is all about um, and explore their options and their creative uh, talents or abilities. So um, that was the, the background behind Design Eye. I originally called it something else. It was called GNA, uh, Graphic Design Niche Agent. And the idea was it was a play on DNA, on the designer and you. So you have the, which GNA do you have? Are you <laughs> branding type or the motion graphics? So, um, but it was way too technical, way too scientific. Um, mm. After a lot of feedback, um, I did a, another name explore. Then we came to Design Eye. Um, and so that was, yeah, that's pretty much how I got started uh, with designer. Cool. So if somebody hasn't come across it before, what would you say that is the kind of basic premise of the game? Um, so yeah, I always describe design as the world's premier graphic design education game, um, which puts you in the mind of a student competing for acceptance into a prestigious design school. And you have to build a portfolio by sketching your own ideas and answering like flashcards, educational flashcards. Flash you get points, whoever has the most points uh, wins. The points actually represents your portfolio cards or a fictional portfolio. And uh, whoever finishes their portfolio is the winner or they get accepted into that top notch design school. So yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, I think it's funny. I didn't know before you were considering doing a uh, potentially a campaign to address this issue. And I think that, it, I think as graphic designers and, and, and branding experts, it's kind of, that can be kind of one of the first go-to things to solve a problem. But I think a game is obviously a bit more of a complex challenge to solve, but it also has, I think, a little bit more lasting impact because a campaign is, I don't know, can be relatively fleeting and kind of once you see it, you see it. Whereas a game is something that can last for, for years and years and Exactly. give people an experience that they'll remember yeah for sure. so as a board game i mean board games are by design meant to be played in person mm -hmm. how has your strategy for promoting it changed in this COVID era when we can't be together in, in group settings yeah so i definitely had to adapt in some way um, so yeah, of course, pre-COVID, I was going to a lot of Detroit public schools, teaching kids about design and having to play the game, getting feedback. And then once COVID happened, I learned about uh, different uh, online platforms that game designers use to make their game virtual. Mm. One of them is called Tabletopia. Um, so it's like, there's like a free account and then there's a paid version. But basically, you could like recreate your board, your game board um, with different pieces. Um, it's typically just uploading a PDF of your design and it rendering for you. And um, that's pretty much it. So I have like the board, the, the pawns, the dice, and you can roll dice, move the pawns around. They have like this virtual mouse hand. And, but, and so that's what I've been using for people who need to um, play online or we just want to be able to test out the game before they um, make a purchase or whatnot. And I've had some um, pretty good success. I had a couple of gameplays online. Um, but the issue is that I had to manage it all because uh, it's just so many different pieces. You got to you know, have your browser set up. You got to get the mm. up. So there's a lot to manage. So it's not very ideal uh, from a holistic standpoint. Um, but yes, yeah, it's more of a, I always consider it like a worst case scenario. And yeah, I have had thoughts about an app, 
for Design Eye, like in the future. Um, but I'm reconsidering that um, because I don't, uh, because the Design Eye, you know, again, is intended for the youth, even though it's for mm-hmm. everyone. And I don't want like the digital realm being a distraction for them. Let's say they, they're they uh, playing Design Eye in the classroom, like the moment they use a tablet or their laptop or not. There's just a lot of opportunities for it to go south. Um, yeah. And I wanted to Google something else or whatnot. So I'm still like kind of half and half on that. But but for, but for now, for COVID, I did make that available, the whole Tabletopia version, just in case people really needed to um, use that method. Um, but yeah, so it's been good so far. Nice, nice. Yeah, and, and I, I really love and appreciate that uh, Design Eye is designed to help these students get learn about and get excited by a career in design and hopefully encourage kids, especially if they're in a school that doesn't have like a strong arts program or anything like that, consider a creative career when they might not otherwise. Um, and I know overall in our industry, the creative industry, there's been, especially the past year, I mean, it's been, it's been a problem that's been obviously years and years, but this past year it's been getting attention with um various social media campaigns and um i know there was one that was also a conference this is the where are the black designers that have started to call out the industry and, and attempt to address this um and i know i know a lot of the um when people are recruiting or, or hiring or interviewing people for these design roles i know one of the um, things that people may come across is this perception, oh, the candidates just aren't there. Um, oh, they're, they're like, we, we want to do it, but we, we can't find these these talents that are black or other, other people of color. Do you have any advice for folks in the design industry who may be wanting to hire black talent, but have the perception that the talent isn't there? Yeah. Um, yeah, because it's, because I have to look at the question from like two angles because one like in the mind of an employer how would they reach out um, then in the mind of uh, mm-hmm. looking for a job how would they inquire so I know for sure like uh, LinkedIn is a great resource it's been a great resource for me uh, indeed is kind of okay um, but I think a lot of designers uh, I guess in the business context are on LinkedIn um, just kind of searching around but if I was an employer I would I would definitely go to like social media, Instagram, um, and just find, <laughs> find people just kind of randomly, uh, find people or, um, and like, if they know at least one person of color, that's a designer, then maybe go through their friends list. I know that's kind of like lurking, but, um, if they're like really searching, like that's one way. Um, I don't know any other way to like find designers in general, besides just like Instagram or, uh, Facebook or whatnot but yeah where are the black designers that is such a great platform to be exposed to a bunch of designers because uh, they have their own slack channel and, and all of that um and there's people on there now who are like like non-people of color who are there to find other people of color so that's one great resource that's um new and recent and um yeah you know credentials do matter um, but also giving these people a chance, especially when, uh, if they're like fresh out of college, they have their design degree and they're just totally. some experience. Um, and, um, and also posting 
So not only like searching on social media, but posting on their social media. I think studio should have a social media presence um, and just post like, hey, we're hiring. Uh, I don't know how sensitive it is to say, hey, we're hiring people of color. Like, I don't know if that's like limiting, but um, hey, we're hiring. If you are a person of color, definitely reach out like kind of thing. Um, and really like blasting that uh, in, you know, in the, the most appropriate manner possible. Um, and that would be that would where I, be where I would start. Um, so so that people know, oh, you're looking, um, but you're looking specifically and you're open specifically for this type of person. I know in addition to Design Eye, one of your um, biggest and probably your most high profile uh, project is your Detroit Rise flag. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Um, that journey um, and kind of where you are now? Yeah, so um, so the Detroit Rise flag, that is a new uh, design, a new proposed design for uh, the Detroit flag. And I came up with that idea. That was another thesis idea I had at Western. Um, and I was inspired by, as, a, as were many others, uh, a TED talk by Roman Mars, who's a podcaster of 99% Invisible. And he did a TED talk on bad US city flags and quote, how they must be stopped. And, uh, and that I've watched that a dozens of times and he pretty much dared people to go out and see if their city had a flag. If, if they do, and it was bad to, to, to change it, um, to take mm. the challenge of redesigning it so that their city you know, could have a, a better flag, a great flag. Um, there, there are a lot of different flag principles and flag rules um, that go into that. Um, but it was really like uh, a cool thing to think about uh, and me being a Detroiter, me now being a designer in Detroit, I thought it'd be pretty um, great to take that task on. Um, and because I don't agree with the current flag of Detroit. Um, and culturally, not many Detroiters even know we have a flag or if they do, mm -hmm. they don't really care about it because it doesn't, it just doesn't appeal to them. So there's a lot of different, um, there's a lot of different reasons why it would be, uh, it would make sense to take that challenge on. So I finished my design in 2017, April of 2017. Um, it was my thesis uh, at Western. And um, I also wrote a booklet um, that explained my argument and went to the history of Detroit, the D current flag and my design. And so um, I've been pushing for its adoption since 2017. So really just going out to the community, just um, pitching it to citizens and then eventually pitching it to city council. Um, but they've been pretty uh, uh, slow on that process and like supporting me or just putting people in front of me to follow up with me. Um, but recently they, one of the council members did send a secretary to me um, to talk about like just getting more community engagement. That was like the key word he used. So really just getting more citizens behind it. Um, and I'm a, the way I interpreted his advice was that if, you know, if I have enough people, have enough Detroiters behind it, then that gives them, the, the city council members, more reason to make this uh, a more serious mm -hmm. topic on their agenda. So that was kind of what I got from that meeting. This was a couple of weeks ago. Um, so yeah, since then, since 2017, I've mainly just been going downtown and flying the flag around, walking up to people, telling them about it. Hey, did you know we had a flag and this, this and that? 
um, and then getting signatures. Um, the signatures aren't as effective as actually seeing the flag on your person or just on your house and that kind of thing. So, yeah. um, and nowadays, well, now that COVID is here, it's hard for me to like be out um, doing that again, but when things are better, I definitely will go to other neighborhoods, not just downtown Detroit. Um, and so that's, and I'm just, you know, one man, I, you know, I still need to have like a team of boots right. on the ground. Like I have family friends who support here and there, but it's not as, you know, consistent. So those have been like some of my challenges. Um, mm-hmm. but I do have a lot of like support in the grand scheme, the grand community of flag lovers, um, Detroiters, Detroit lovers, people who support it via, you know, shouting it out on social media or, um, you know, putting their signature or whatnot. But what I'm really trying to get people to do is actually get the flag. It doesn't have to be the five foot flag. It could be a, a, a 12 inch flag or a sticker or whatnot. Just something so that people can see it in the day to day. And then gradually the equity builds and then, you know, we get uh, more success that way. So. Um, it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. Um, I'm never going to stop until, you know, it's official. Um, but even, even if it gets, like, becomes the unofficial official new flag, like, that would be an, another checkpoint of success for me, too. And, of course, for Detroiters. as something similar. It's pretty much what happened with Milwaukee. There's another mm. guy, Steve Kotis. He um, initiated a flag change for Milwaukee. He, he and other citizens took it upon themselves to do their own process. They have uh, judges and everything, competition. And then they chose a flag, but their city council still hasn't um, did a formal uh, session to, to make it official. So uh, I'm trying to prevent that, but, you know, that's that's difficult. But, um, but yeah, it's like it's really, it really takes time um, depending on the culture of the city, the politics of that particular city. So in my case, yeah. uh, Detroit is, you know, relatively big. Um, they're, unfortunately, they, the citizens and the, the city council, they're not very design minded, even though a part of Detroit culture is design minded, like we're the mm-hmm. UNESCO city of design and all of that. So there's a lot of different uh, walls I have to climb over to get, get people to understand yeah this this matters here's why so yeah oh um, yeah so i know uh, obviously podcasts this is a, a an audio forum so people can't see the flag but can you do your best to maybe describe it and, and let let us know maybe what you were trying to uh capture with it yeah definitely i kind of want to get into the current flag too um just to put some visuals up there so the current flag of detroit which is the first flag of Detroit is divided into four quadrants. So four corners, uh, the top left and bottom right corners has stars and stripes. So on black and red and white, the bottom left and top right corners have uh, fleur-de-lis, uh, which are symbols of uh, France and then gold lions, which are symbols of Great Britain. And these four quadrants basically just represent those countries that founded Detroit, French and uh, occupied Detroit during those, the American Revolutionary War, um, French and Indian War. Uh, In the center of this four quadrant flag is the city seal, which commemorates the fire of 1805 that burned down the city of Detroit. Um, And that's pretty much where we get a lot of our rising from the ashes from. Um, So it's a seal of two women, one woman pointing to a burned down city to the left, uh, and another woman pointing to a city built anew. 
and the, the city motto in Latin, we hope for better things, it will rise from the ashes. So that's the current flag um, of Detroit. The new flag I designed is literally a star, top left corner, a triangle or a line uh, crossing across, crossing across. So like a diagonal line to make a triangle, a black triangle, uh, and then a curved form, a white curved form, and then the, the resulting negative space is a blue shape. Um, so the flag is three parts, black, white, and blue with a star. Um, and that pretty much represents um, Detroit in three ways. So um, the rising form is actually a symbol for the river um, because Detroit is named after the river and established off the Detroit River. So Detroit comes from the French Detroit, which means the strait, and the strait is the Detroit River. Um, second is uh, it captures the city model. So we hope for better things that will rise from the ashes. So if you look at Detroit geographically, the river, it looks like an ascending pathway. So that curving form is uh, the rising uh, from struggles, but it's also point three, uh, a path toward the better things. So that's how I tie. So I figured that the river was a perfect uh, uh, symbol element to represent all those things, Detroit, as well as like the history. So it captures, it's like a I don't want to say one size fits all, but it does the job for all these. It has a lot of legs for all these different things. Um, and then the star is the industrial star. The points of the star represent the um, Detroit's most successful industries, uh, music, the auto industry, art and design, life science or medicine and high technology, like manufacturing. And black is for resilience, white for righteousness, blue for progression, also for blue collar because we're a very blue collar city and also for our uh, climate. We're a very cool and cold climate city. So um, that's the Detroit Rise flag. And, and I also wanna add that um, naming it the Detroit Rise, not just because of the city model, Rise and Ashes, but also because of like our educational history. There's a lot of, so in DPS, mm -hmm. for public schools, they, they all, their motto is like, students rise, we all rise or something. So there's always been this whole rising idea and I thought that was another thing to make it more appropriate um, or more fitting for this flag to show that, show a rising that, and then, you know, that resilience, you know, rising from our tribulations, from our past and being better. And so I don't think the current flag has any of that or do it does any justice for that big idea of who Detroiters are, what we're about and what we're looking ahead to in the future. So that's the Detroit Rise flag. Yeah, it, it, it's got such a bold and very timeless look to it. I actually just Googled the current one um, <laughs> just to refresh my memory. And that is that is something. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I Googled Detroit flag and you and the Detroit Riders are in the first line of results. So yeah, that seems seems like some good progress, at least. Yeah, I was really excited. My one of my friends, um, call it my crewmate so they uh saw that i was in a wikipedia page for the trade oh wow and i was like oh sweet and um and so yeah i guess that's five years <laughs> of uh <laughs> you know, banging on people's head about this and uh but yeah it's uh it's exciting it's just another checkpoint really so totally i yeah i i really appreciate that tenacity that you have to to make this happen i know many people would have thrown in the towel by now, but what have, is there anything that you've learned in the process of talking to so many people and advocating for this design that you believe in so strongly throughout the years? Um, let's see. So 
I mean, I think that because there are different types of Detroiters. I mean, obviously, everyone has like their different beliefs and values and whatnot. Um, but there are like different common threads, um, like people, because a part of my research was asking people, what colors come to mind when you think of Detroit or what would you say Detroit's uh, greatest qualities are? And so resilience was like top number one, the hardworking, the grit, all of that good stuff. And um, and I was, I think the way, because I have like a sort of a script in my head from when I walk up to people. And just the way I break it down, and because the Detroit Rise is a simple design, um, and I pack in a lot of concepts and history into it, and how I contrast that with the current flag, I think that's a good selling point. So for me, just knowing how to articulate uh, the difference between mm. the current and the new flag, and why we need a new flag, and and I will often say like it's not just about the flag, but it's about the brand identity of Detroit in general on a greater scale and also um, how it can flex. So I don't know if you've seen the, I call it the Detroit tricolor, how I have the black, white, and blue square with a star. So there, there are scenarios where you can like condense the proportions of the flag to just those three colors and it still maintain that equity. Uh, and it can obviously be implemented across different design systems in Detroit. Um, you know, it will in, uh, invigorate Detroit tourism. Like there is not really a, a tourist store in Detroit, like to get Detroit yeah. stuff. Like, there are just different stores. There's no cohesion uh, really. Um, and so I start to, depending on who I'm talking to, I start to get into all of that. They're like still listening. Um, but as far as like non-Detroiters, like they're just designers or flag lovers. They pretty much fall in love with it from the get once they like do more research into it. Like there have been people, there have been people who used to live in Detroit. Now they live abroad. Like there's a guy in Germany who has the flat, the Detroit Rise oh, wow. community. Um, there's someone in the state of Washington who has the flag. So there's like a lot of different ways people um, really gravitate to it, um, whether they were you know, from Detroit or moved, a lot of different associations. So, um, but definitely learning about the political side of it. Um, there's it's in my notes somewhere but i actually spoke to um ted k he's the secretary of nava the north american vexillological association so they're like nasa but for flags and he gave me um some advice on how to talk to political people so he was like three there are three things for sure about uh politicians one, they want to make people happy. Two, they don't want to make people unhappy. And three, they don't want to spend money. And that, that is <laughs> so true. And it's like, and I've gotten a, every time I talk to a city official, I always get those vibes. Like, like some of them may be interested in this, but then they're like, they're thinking, they're just hung up on, okay, how much is this going to cost to spend all of this? If we, because they are, you know, still, still Detroiters, I call them unbelievers. They don't, they just, they don't really have much of an argument. They just want the, they want to keep the current flag just because it's there. Um, and then the other guys who do believe, like, they're like, yeah, the current flag is trash or it just doesn't resonate with me or I don't resonate with it and we need something new. We're supposed to be so progressive. Why aren't we acting on that? Um, so you're going to have that population of unhappy and happy citizens and whatnot. But like, if you look at, obviously for me, if you look at the bigger, impact like we'll have i guess a return on our investment that will mm. pay off everyone um and so 
just really learning how to communicate to those people in that political realm uh, is was something I definitely learned um, and learning more about. Um, so yeah, and just navigating those waters because they are very touchy, difficult waters. So. Yeah, totally. I mean, even, I think this is kind of a trend in, in any sort of design when you redesign something. I mean, even if, even if people, <laughs> aren't necessarily in love with it in the first place once they find out oh this is different here's a very new redesigned thing it's like there's this instinctual reaction to people to resist that change just for the the sake of yeah. it so i can i can see how there might be that element of um things that the they they the politicians might be navigating as well definitely so obviously between um design eye detroit rise you've written several books you have such an infectious passion for your various projects and different ventures do you have any advice for people that have ideas that they they want to act on and they want to strike a balance with work and home life and, and everything else going on yeah so I would definitely say time management. And I, and I don't even think of time management often because like I said, I've been doing it instinctively for so long. But because um, I, especially with the books, like I've come across so many people who say, yeah, I've had ideas to write a book and just haven't gotten to it. I'm like, well, you can still do it. Why well, you just gotta make this time <laughs> for it. And I, I do believe it's true that people make time for, you know, what they want to make time for. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it can be difficult, um, but it's, is not impossible. So I would say, if you, first of all, if you have an idea and you believe in yourself, believe in your ideas, believe, you know, just start off with a sketch, believe it could be a thing. Um, I'm really into really seeing if my idea will work, um, but I gotta start somewhere, right? And that's, um, once you start, then that's, that you get the ball rolling. Then there's kind of, there's a victory right there. There's one chunk of that victory dance. And, um, <laughs> And so really, uh, I mean, I'm just, I'm a self-motivated person too. So it's very easy for me to like have an idea, like see sort of the finished product or a version of it, mm. really just start working on it or just figuring out, all right, what's on my calendar? When can I work on this? And it's sort of like making myself like get to it, whether it's a sketch or jotting down some notes or doing some Google searches or research or whatnot. Um, because like, if you don't do any of that, then it's just going to be this lingering idea that might make you all moody or whatnot. Um, right. So like, don't be a naysayer of yourself kind of thing. Um, so really believe in yourself. Um, so time management. And then second, um, don't be afraid to like get feedback from, you know, peers, your close friends. Um, Cause yeah, you might think, you know, your idea is the greatest thing ever, but you still want, if it's, if it's meant to be, you know, targeted to other people, you want to make sure other people agree with you because um, mm -hmm. they still have valid insight um, if your end goal is to have it for other people. So, um, but I would, so and you're always going to have the, the people who agree and the people who disagree. So don't be afraid about that either. That's just the way of life. Um, let's see what else, time management, believing in yourself and, um, I believe in creating things that um, that make an impact. So like my uh, philosophy, if you will, 
like on my side, I say, uh, I'm not about making a mark. I'm about making a point. And so the translation of that is just, I'm not about making an impression. I'm about making an impact more than anything. So I like to design things that really solve some type of problem or help solve a problem. So design, I, you know, the problem is there's a lack of diversity in the design industry. How do we increase those numbers? Well, what if you made a game to teach youth the color about design so that they're interested young and then they take it up in high school and then they take it on fully in college. So that kind of thing. And um, that me as a designer, that's just my way uh, of contributing to the world through design. Um, and I think that's very profound. And so having something, if you have an idea you're passionate about, like make it something that could uh, create an impact uh, for your, for others. So like, I don't want to like make selfless design, if you will, um, you know, very human centered mm. design. So I think that's the best type of design because if you, anything you design for the hearts of others, like there's nothing greater than that. Cause you know, it's all about, you know, connections and relationships and the, the peace uh, of, you know, everyone via, you know, what you create, the ideas you share or the ideas of others that you share to the world. So, yeah. Totally. Yeah, I love that. And I think as designers, we have such a unique opportunity to, I think that, I think that graphic designers don't get a fair shake a lot of time. It's like, oh, you're typing out fonts and picking colors and this kind of basic things. I can download Photoshop and I can do that. But there really is this unique, uh, ability that I think good designers have is to be able to see a challenge, see, like you said, see the the finished product or the, the finished result and be able to use design to connect those threads and, and, and try and make that, uh, solve that problem yeah. through um, visuals or experiences, things like that. Yep. So, is there anything that you've discovered about your process during this year of COVID when we've been confined to our homes for so much of it that you want to keep going for the long haul, even even if we do return to some some sense of normalcy? Mm -hmm. um, nothing has changed much. Um, I mean, so with my studio job, like with, so I've been working from home since March 12th. So it's been a year now officially, eight days. And it was first, it was like really love, hate, it's still sort of love hate, but uh, I think I'm spoiled now. So in the beginning, mm. um, I, you know, obviously being used to driving to work and um, being at home is just the the having work at your home. Like I don't like that uh, that uh, yeah. um because at home I want to work on my own stuff, and uh, so that was like a challenge of like resisting the urge to like work on my own stuff while I work on a whatever for a client and um but I you know I did my thing and you know came out strong with a lot of different project wins and uh, it's been pretty smooth um and whenever my plate is light at work I I just uh I'll probably read up into uh I don't know some project brief or read some articles um I do a lot of self-education too so I'm not just kind of sitting there but um, but for me personally, like outside of work, uh, I mean, I'm a homebody too anyway. And so, and there's ideas always floating around, uh, whether they're my ideas or the ideas of others and they, they need, they want my services. Um, 
but my I have a system and, I, and that's another thing like uh for people who have ideas like have a system of yeah your own process so I call it system um because there there's an approach uh I mean I pretty much is I have my my work Mac and I have my personal Mac and I have a stack of paper right here in case I need to start sketching something and um and I like COVID be like I'm because I've always been indoors basically like COVID hasn't affected me much as far as being able to travel places for me to do my work Mm -hmm. um and so because of that like I've been pretty okay um I mean sometimes I guess in the context of my studio job like being in a studio to have more interactive working sessions or whatnot pinning stuff on a wall so there. I lose that element, but we've been having a great uh, experience, you know, using Google Meet or Zoom to communicate, uh, to drop in uh, notes in our in the Google chat or whatever and screen share. So just, I think adapting works. Um, and I think as designers, we need, as creatives, we need to be able to do that. Um, and I think right. you know, pandemic is a great testimony or testament to how different industries have to adapt for their audiences. Um, yeah, so it, it was, I think we're in a pretty great industry. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, uh, I haven't had any major issues or any issues at all, really. Yeah, it's like this past year has just accelerated a lot of the trends that we're kind of creeping towards anyway. Mm-hmm. And it's wild, it's wild to think back. Um, Cause there really is, there really is no going back. I feel at this point, it's like so many of the things that we've done, I think that this, this idea of being have the flexibility to work from home and kind of um, not needing to be in an office space for 40 hours a week. I think that 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 whole thing is behind us. So I think as designers, that I think is a great thing as well. I think that it just gives people more flexibility to work where they want um, and in settings that inspire them, um, get, get, get comfortable and have the creativity flowing, things like that. Yeah, unfortunately, my studio, they're really good with like flexibility. So like, let's say our plate is light, like we're encouraged to like step outside and take a walk or nice. might run an errand or two or whatnot and come back to your desk. Um, as long as the work gets done, basically. Of course. What's encouraged. So um, I really love that uh, as well. Um, so that's dope. Nice. So. Are there any misconceptions that people have about you or your work or people like you and what are they getting wrong? Um, not that I know of. There's been uh, only, the only thing I can think of is with the flag. So when I first was getting pressed about the Detroit Rise flag, some people thought I was a white guy, <laughs> which is funny mm. um, because then that opens a can of worms about the perception of the design industry and the perception of a designer, mm. um, which I think growing up, I sort of had that same perception that, oh, design is like a white thing, like a, like that's a white man's career or whatnot. And then as I started to see that, oh, there are other, like anyone can be, cause anyone can be an artist, anyone can be a designer. Obviously this is not limited to, you know, the, this group of people. Um, so as an adult, when I, when I was first, when I first heard that people thought, like, who was this white guy redesigning um, the Detroit flag? And cause that goes into a deep like culture thing of 
because Detroiters are real tight about if you're not from Detroit, you're not from Detroit. Don't say you're from Detroit. <laughs> somewhere, blah 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 blah. And yeah, historically, when I like Detroit became predominantly black after the '50s, '60s, and um, typically, and because Detroit, in my opinion, a lot of black Detroiters they're not as design conscious, but a lot mm. of white Detroiters are, or just white people in general. And because white people dominate the design industry. So there's all of those factors that play into it. So when I heard that, I was like, oh my goodness, what the heck? I didn't think I would have to like address this topic. So then once they saw that I was black, they're like, oh, it literally shifted their whole perception of the project. Mm. And um, some people leaned in more to listen. Why is that? That's, you know, that's a bigger racial topic. And so that was like interesting to note. And so um once I kind of got once people knew then they're like now they're looking at my age okay this guy is young and this he's a millennial so it's like okay now what? <laughs> all the different cultures you got to go through to approve or at least listen yeah. to me not. so um that would be the only like I guess misconception uh, or misinterpretation of me um I haven't had haven't had any other like issues or encounters like that that I can think of. Um, but that that definitely was one that stood out. Um, and I, you know, I've addressed a lot of those topics and questions. So people who are aware of me and know me, they they know where, where my position is and where I stand. So um, but um I can't think of anything uh else like negative that um, but it's been pretty I mean, my my life record in general has been pretty great. Like, I don't, you know, I have a major scholarship, the Bill Gates scholarship, so I don't have any student debt. And, you know, Detroit kid, Cass Tech, you know, best high school in Detroit. So all these different credentials. And so that, you know, carries a certain perception. Um, And for those who are learning more about me, it's sort of like a what's next. Um, And... uh, what's next and like, what else is he doing in the community or whatnot? And so it's just a gradual reputation building, I guess, um, just being more in the community. Um, Cause I'm really in like the education world now too. So, but I haven't, fortunately I haven't had any like bad encounters or whatnot, bad interpretations. Uh, mm. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I'm sure that you, are it's your profiles rising in Detroit and across the country even with with some of this this coverage you've been getting I'm hoping that you um, are just one more role model that young kids can can look up to as uh, a a model for creativity a model for a a creative career in design or whatever whatever dream they want to follow because I think that is truly so sad how there is this perception that design is a white man's career because I mean we all experience design. Everybody uh, shops in the store. Everybody drives down the highway looking at signs. Everybody reads off of a restaurant menu. So I think that the more the more different types of people that are contributing those designs to the world, I think it just becomes a richer place for everybody. Yes, definitely. And the only, uh, I was going to say the only like, because when I think of Eddie Opara, um, designer from uh, Pentagram, he's from, yeah, he's from England, but like he's the only person I could think of as like a major POC role model. Um, yeah. And 
And so, yeah, I now that I'm in, because I had no idea I was going to create a board game, write books. Like, that was not yeah. in my in my vision. But now that I'm here, like, I definitely want to be one of those, like, role models or figures who, you know, who is someone um, that younger kids of color can look up to and see that as possible. The same reason people can look up to Kamala Harris or Barack Obama and be like, yes, it's possible for me with my skin to be, you know, the next president and whatnot. So definitely. Are there any memorable moments of clarity that you've had in your journey to where you are now that have set off something in your mind? And if so, how have they impacted your journey to where you are now? Moments of clarity. Um, hmm. I would say uh, there's like a yes and a no. Um, like I've kind of operated the same for my like projects and stuff or just school, work life. Um, but I think as I've, and I've been pretty mature, like just grow, even when I was younger, but I think uh, one moment of clarity is just, um, especially in like my freelance, like just being able to uh, be more pleasant in how I communicate certain recommendations. Uh, Cause I've been called blunt before. Uh, Cause that's just like a part of me, but it's never, you know, with any ill will, but mm-hmm. I, I don't like to sugarcoat anything. So, and so in the context of people who have ideas, you know, you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And, and we all, you know, grew up through critique and, you know, experience in that and learning from that. And so I guess a moment of clarity would be just getting better at articulating certain critique statements or certain things mm-hmm. that, because what I'm trying to do is help them improve on their idea, but I don't want to offend or like come off as if I'm saying that their idea is trash or is just not it or whatnot. So really just kind of improving on my communication. I haven't had any issues and people who know, who know me when they uh, vouch for me to other people, they already kind of give them the download that I'm going to give them the real, uh, I'm going to show them the way, I'm going to educate them like professional. So like that helps too. Um, but I, I want to maintain that, I guess, clean communication so that um, no one ever gets offended or feel like I'm driving, feel like I'm taking control of their, their baby. Um, I always yeah. want to be respectful. Um, and so I can't think of any other uh, moments of clarity besides, uh, I mean, this is sort of like, I don't know if this is a tangent, but I'm a very thorough person. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> a lot of uh, a lot of people may not be as thorough. And so uh, some people are overwhelmed by how much detail can, how much thought can go into something. So, um, cause, and I always want to encourage people to think big because otherwise why do it? Um, mm-hmm. Especially if you say, Hey, I want to start this business. And one of my first questions is, okay, well, what's your vision? How far do you want to take it? And if yeah. you just want to keep, stay local, like, well, how, are, how do you intend to grow? Because what's the point of having a business if you are not going to grow? Um, and so, um, you know, just knowing how to, I guess, be patient with people and digesting the information I would give them, the, the expertise I would give them. 
Um, I'm really, I love educating people. Um, but I, I know like, I always break it up into pieces so that it's all not all just at once. Um, so really, I guess knowing how to better talk to people from that angle, talk to people who may not be uh, aware at all of how much can go into like a brand or whatever idea visual, uh, making an idea visual. So um, that would be a moment of clarity. Like everybody is not like me. Everybody yeah. doesn't think as like me. So just being conscious and considerate of that is yeah. a moment of clarity. You gotta meet people where they're at. So is there anything that's important to you that you think society should be paying more attention to? Yeah, I think society should be paying more attention to design, specifically good design. I don't think there's a lot of appreciation for what really goes into design and how it impacts our daily lives. Um, it's often a, uh, what do you call it, overlook uh, or afterthought. Because uh, we, we, you know, we interact with so many different brands and design systems, you know, in New York, the train system, the, the map, um, the, the queue, the yellow line, all these different things that people don't really um, peep and understand that are really, really important. And I feel like if people had a better consciousness um, for design, that they would view many other systems way, more, uh, way better with more empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, there, and I think there's a maturity involved in that. They, they basically, if they appreciate a good design, they will not, um, uh, will not take things for granted. Um, yeah. And will not treat, treat other things as whatever. Um, these are, you know, a human was behind this. And so really having that kind of human mindset, I think is really important. So yeah, that would totally, that, yeah. Yeah, there's this this old adage where it's like the best design is the design that you don't even think about. It's like sometimes you don't even realize that something is designed until it's crappy and, and isn't working for you. So it's like this this tricky thing where it's like you don't want people to be constantly thinking about, oh, I'm in a, a, a world where every single little thing is designed. But at the same time, it's like you, you do want people to have that appreciation for what makes that possible. Yeah, for sure. So wrapping things up, um, one day, hopefully soon, this this pandemic will be in the rearview mirror. When you think of that day, um, what are you most hopeful for? Uh, first answer: going to the freaking movie theaters. I miss going yes. to movie theaters. And uh, so, on a basic note, definitely, yeah, movie theaters. I'm a movie worm. I just love movies. I love that experience. You know, obviously a high quality. I miss going to the Alamo. Rest in peace to the Alamo that was in Kalamazoo, Michigan. But um, and but yeah, the movie theaters first. Um, second, yeah, just uh, definitely being around um, family more. Um, and just you know, just the ability to, uh, cause I do want to get more traveling in. Um, at in my current age, like in my my twenties, um. I mean, I know it's sort of still a thing, but uh, we're you know, taking advantage of those prices, but it's still kind of tough, you know, all the different restrictions everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say like, there's something about, even though I'm a homebody, there is something about being able to go where you want to go and not having mm-hmm. issues or having to prepare a certain thing, having to remember, oh, I got to wear my mask. Um, so I, yeah, yeah, like 
not having to wear my mask even though i'm fine um wearing it but like the uh the extremists i guess they is such a attack on freedom but for me it's like uh you know not wearing your mask like yeah you you, you get that freedom you can breathe and whatnot uh, and me with glasses like uh, my glasses get foggy and all that <laughs> but um there's there's like a sense of yeah, that normalcy or um, things mm-hmm. that were before, I think I would be looking more forward to that. But, um, and, and that's you know, probably a, like a basic note, but um, just not being confined uh, to certain things, like, because everything is limited as far as activities you can do. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, yeah, if people you. want to find you online, learn more about your projects, where can they head? Definitely, they can go to DionMixon.com, D-E-O-N-M-I-X-O-N.com. Um, everything is there. If they want to check out Design Eye, go to designeyegame.com. And if they want to check out the Detroit Rise flag, head to DetroitRiseFlag.com. So making it really easy to remember. <laughs> um, everything can be accessed through DionMixon.com. And then you can follow me on social at DionMixon. And yeah, that's about it. Nice. You you really lucked out with those uh, handles and URLs. Very simple yeah, so to the point. <laughs> the flag. So uh, the flag is actually at Detroit Rise Flag underscore because for some reason I can't remove. Like mm. if I see where the underscore is like taken, I'm like, how the heck is this? <laughs> so I'm gonna play with that sometime in the future again. But, but yeah, everything is just really clean. At Dion Mixon, at Detroit Rice Flag underscore, at Design Eye Game, the books at Lethal Creed Saga. I haven't, I haven't talked a lot about the books because it's like another thing that's on pause. Um, but action adventure, military, sci-fi. So for those who are into that, um, check it out. Um, what is all on DionMixon.com for sure. Cool. Well, thank you so much, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Same. Thanks again, man. Keep bye bye. Thanks again to Dion for joining this episode. In These Uncertain Times is created, produced, and edited by me, Derek Horn. The show's theme music is Strawberry Shortcake by Brasco. Until next time, thank you for listening and be well.